Whiskey, whiskey, the singer's getting sore. We raise the roof now and we're lowering the floor. The band is blistering, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, you say three, four. One, two, three, four. Uh, welcome to Whiskey Topic. It's Mark Bylock. Jamie Johnson is on assignment in Scotland, so she's having a good time. But I do have two co-hosts uh, with me here. Uh, first of all, returning co-host uh, well, guest, uh, Devin DeCorgamo. Good morning, Mark. <laughs> Good morning. And Mark Lesby of the Whiskey Cast. Hey, Mark. How's it going, guys? Uh, we are here at the Wonderful World of Whiskey Festival in Cornwall, Ontario. Probably my least favorite city name on all of uh, Ontario, Cornwall. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Um, but this is a really great festival. This is uh, right kind of close to Ottawa, close to Montreal, and close to the American border. Uh, Mark Lesby, you came out here, which is always a good sign. Uh, but you, It's fun is, getting more glasses delivered. I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. We yeah. need them. Uh, but this is, you, you've been attending a lot of Canadian whiskey festivals uh, yeah, over I, the years. The guys at the border crossing are starting to get a little suspicious when I come through all the time now. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. And you're always bringing all the podcasting equipment. They're, they're, yeah, I carry enough crap basically to stock a good sized the source store <laughs> right you really do <laughs> it's amazing um what so why are we here what's uh why, how did uh how did we come about into cornwall because you've, you've been at this festival from the day one pretty much right Devin? yeah uh yeah ian contacted me uh oh, for a year and a half ago or maybe yeah. more saying he's interested in doing a festival and uh would I be interested? Well, it's close to home. I'm, I live an hour from here, and yeah. so came down. Last year was the was the inaugural year. It was so much, so much better than you could ever expect from the first year. But I got thinking about it. You know, like Cornwall is an hour from Montreal. It's an hour from Ottawa. As you say, Marcus, close to the border. And and it, 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 this time of year, there's nothing happening mm-hmm. for, for whiskey people. So you get a lot of uh, good brand ambassadors coming out, a lot of whiskeys here, a lot of brands, and a lot of people. Well, I mean, they sold out. So I mean, it, it, it just it, the, the show really has a a, a fantastic. Uh, uh, it started off on a fantastic starting point because it can only grow and can only get better from here. And uh, of course, now you know our friend Mark Gillespie's here, who's an honorary Canadian. You forgot to tell them that. That's Mark. right. Well, yeah, because <laughs> it doesn't actually get me across the border. I still have to use that passport thingy, but. Uh, <laughs> It was fun. Yesterday when I was being driven out from uh, Montreal Airport to Cornwall, I was talking with the driver, and he mentioned that he had not seen anything in local media about the whiskey show this weekend. And they sold out without having to spend any money on promoting it locally. Yeah. Just with people uh, coming in from all over Canada for it. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. So there's plenty of room for expansion here. And you mentioned that uh, this falls at a pretty dead time in the year, in the calendar. Because we have Victoria in January. Yeah. You don't really have anything until Spirit of Toronto in May, uh-huh. Canadian-wise. Uh-huh. It's a busy week south of the border because you had uh, Whiskey Fest in Chicago. Yeah, it's happening right Friday now. Friday night. Mm-hmm. And uh, there really isn't a lot north of the border, though, to get, attract people. And if you don't want to have to fly through and deal with customs and everything, this is a good spot to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Quite honestly, you know, if you're going to put on a decent whiskey show in at least in Ontario, you need an organizer who's going to get involved, not just do it at the last minute. Because mm-hmm. we do have that the difficulty of having to deal with the LCBO, you know, the unavailability of a lot of great whiskeys in Ontario and things like that. Uh, and Ian has really, really uh, put so much energy into this. But, you know, uh, he tells me that he, he has a really good team working with him. And I met Natalie yesterday and yeah. Yasmin and some of these mm-hmm. people. And it's true. They're they're quite daddy i remember them from last year so uh, it's not just the time of year and it's not just the the great location it's because we have one person who is quite passionately dedicated to making it work and it helps when that one person ian bentley actually runs the venue and runs meetings and events at the (laughs) venue because he's able to crack the whip and get his staff doing things rather than having uh, a committee of outsiders trying to work with a venue that they're renting for the weekend yeah, He's so promoting it as the NAV Center. The NAV Center is promoting this themselves. They don't have an outside group doing it, yeah. which makes it a lot easier when yes, you've got a paid right. staff. Yes, right. It's private space, so they don't have somebody coming around like we did in Louisville where they came around and picked up all the whiskey the minute you hit the end of the show. <laughs> That's true, because we're basically at like a kind of a corporate training facility, essentially. It's used for a lot of different things, but uh, yeah. but uh, it's essentially like it reminds me of those corporate training facilities, but it's really beautifully done, kind of in the landscape, really nicely uh, done, and yeah, we can get lost here. I mean, we've all gotten lost in this location. Can you 
that's believe- the one drawback is that it, there are, there's whiskey at the end of the maze, but if after you've had a few whiskeys, it's hard to find your way around this place. Yeah, well, this is a, a navigation school to train air traffic controllers, and on their final exam, they put them at the front door, and they have got 90 seconds to make it to the back door. <laughs> Without running into each other. <laughs> Devin, what did you bring us to drink today? You, you got us some... Nice, nice bottles here. Well, I brought the the two most recent releases from Balconies in Texas. Mark and I were down there last week, and uh, uh, so they've got two one hundred percent rye whiskeys, and they're these are they're not like um, most American ryes. They're not like Canadian ryes. They really are. It made in uh, their own image, mm-hmm. and they use they use a locally grown rye. It's called Elbon Rye down there. Now, rye you wouldn't expect to be able to grow rye in Texas because rye to 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 sprout it needs to get freezing temperatures. Otherwise, it just won't set seed. Yeah, Devin one one is rye is a tough grain to rye grow, is a tough, and, and it and needs cold. Weather, but yeah. North yeah. Texas does get cold, but it does. So they grow this. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they grow this in, in northern Texas. Some in some in West Texas, and some in Oklahoma. So it's really a, a local grain for for Balcones, hmm. and they have um, uh, fer- fermented it and matured it in uh, standard uh, bourbon sized barrels. And uh, so now they've brought out for their 10th anniversary. It's already been 10 years. Their wow. 10th anniversary. Yeah. Yeah, you should listen to Whiskey Cast from last week because he did it live. Yeah, Mark right, it yeah. live from, from Balcones. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago from Balcones, sorry. And um, yeah, right. <laughs> Time flies when you're drinking whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Time flies when, you're <laughs> when your brain's not working right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so these are really mm-hmm. a different style of rye. And we, I find it really exciting because we, we have... Uh, now a different style of rye coming in Ontario. Like if you say it's the Stillwaters, it doesn't taste like anybody else's rye. Yeah. And uh, you know we're so used to this bre- this breadth of flavor in Scotch, in single malt Scotch, all made from barley, but so many different flavors. And now we're starting to see the same thing emerge from in rye. So um, you know, I'm really quite excited about these Balconies, uh, these new Balconies whiskeys. Uh, so the 100% rye, uh, they're 100% rye. One is cask strength, which is 62.3%. So dark. It's yeah. a pretty good whiskey, isn't Which it? doubled yeah. the maturation. Yeah, it was yeah, 30 months yeah. matured in uh-huh. barrels, while the uh, 100 proof was 15 months. Wow. And you can see, you can see the difference in the color. You, oh, absolutely. You can see the difference in the color, yeah. But uh, but you've tasted a lot of American rye, Mark. Yeah, yeah and, and this is one of the best I've tasted. <laughs> yeah, right? Listen to Mark Gillespie. He's the guy who found Wyoming whiskey. Right, yeah. <laughs> and sent us all there. Every We've been there. We tasted some of their stuff last night, Andrew Ferguson. Would Port I steer you wrong? You did not. It's made it look pretty amazing because these smaller distilleries are developing their own character. They're, yeah. I think, you know, 10 years ago they were trying to make bourbon, like Kentucky made bourbon. And now they're like, no, no, we can make our own character, have our own... You know our own image of what whiskey is and bourbon and Balcon and yeah, Wyoming is a great well, you example. Have to. Yeah, exactly. You have to differentiate. You can't yeah. compete with the Jimmy Russells of yeah. the world. You can't make a, a bourbon better than Jimmy Russell. You have to make a bourbon differently than Jimmy Russell. Yeah, yeah. No, it's exactly. It's it's a wonderful uh, to see them find their like their their voice in this, and uh, it's been a big change over the years, certainly. Because I I think um, I did the uh, judge the World Whiskey Awards the the on the U.S. side. And it was amazing how different the non-Kentucky and because they basically distributed mm-hmm. Kentucky and non-Kentucky, and the non-Kentucky ones were were so interesting. I, well, I Kentucky and the infidels. <laughs> right. I wasn't looking I forward can't. to it. I can't. <laughs> I'm waiting for my Hawaii bourbon. <laughs> oh yes, right. I know there's a distillery on Hawaii, but I don't think they're doing any whiskeys. I think only they're only doing rum or something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, but I think what it's amazing because I was I was actually not looking forward to that. I'm like, oh no, we're going to do a lot of kind of small micro distilleries. It's all going to taste the same, da da da, and it all tasted different. It was all delicious. A lot of a lot of great uh, a lot of great uh, entries entrances there. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we I think with kind of the the broad topic you want to talk about is how much whiskey has changed over the years because you guys have been in media for for a little longer than I have. Um, so this is certainly one change, kind of the startups coming in because yeah. I guess when you guys first started, it was just Kentucky. Well, yeah, and you had a lot of people that were getting started and releasing really young stuff or releasing new makes and really trying to find their footing and, frankly, releasing a lot of crap that probably should never have been released. Mm -hmm. But they were trying to find their way, and they had to make some money, and and the survivors are the ones that have figured out how to get past those baby steps and really make some good stuff. Yeah, I sometimes look at it like funding. Like you need that local support to to help you buy those eighty dollar bottles of 
kind of, as you said, Well, crap. you need the funding ahead yeah. of time. You need the funding and the investment to start up with because you don't sell a lot of $80 bottles if you're a brand-new startup a second time around if it's lousy. You've got yeah. to have the initial funding to keep you going. Yeah. And we were talking – Davin was mentioning Wyoming Whiskey. They were fortunate to start up with a boatload of money mm-hmm. already because the owners, Brad and Kate Mead – were already wealthy from ranching and other enterprises, so they were able to fund it. And I, I like to joke with them that they funded it out of petty cash. <laughs> Pocket change. It, it wasn't that. It wasn't that quite that extent, but they were able to afford to sit on the whiskey and wait till Steve Nally told them it was ready. So they waited four and a half years right. before they released anything. That's amazing. And a lot of distillers, a lot of these small guys, can't do that. Well, you know, I think it's, it's it's the same in every business. It doesn't matter if you're starting a hardware store or a consulting company, whatever. You have to have capital right. to, to, to get through the, the, you know, the lean years. And the, one of the problems that I've seen with a lot of the micro distillers is that they're, they're so enthusiastic and passionate about making whiskey or making spirit, and they forget this is a business. And they forget it's a very highly regulated business, mm-hmm. and it's an insanely competitive business. So they can make wonderful spirit, but if they don't have a really good business plan, and if they don't have the capital behind them, there, it's just a formula for failure, and it really wouldn't matter whether it was distilling or what it was. You can be as passionate as you want, but you can't be passionate at the at the uh, cashier when you're buying your groceries. They want money, <laughs> so it's it's like taking a puppy to a dog show. Very eager, very cute puppy yeah. can do a few tricks, but unless it has all that training and can behave when the judge comes over and grabs its snout to look at it and doesn't piddle on the carpet in the middle of the show ring, it's going to lose the dog show every time. Yeah. I yeah. can tell who just got a dog. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> otherwise I'd assume you're talking about Chewy, my little dog. No, no, no. It's, my family just adopted another foster dog recently yeah. for a short-term period. And yeah, he's sleeping with me now and likes to take his half of the bed out of the middle. <laughs> and a little nuclear reactor heat-wise, too. So, Oh, no. <laughs> At least he doesn't toot. I'll give him credit for that. You must be feeding him properly. Yeah. Another mouth to feed. That's right. I'm a sucker for a pretty face and a wagging tail. And in a dry county, you need all the animals you can possibly get just to get through the days. I still can't believe you live in a dry county. I live in a dry town, and that only means they don't sell it. Yeah. It doesn't mean you can't have it. And I live on the edge of said dry town, uh-huh. which means I've got three pubs and a liquor store within walking distance. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, that's really funny. I, I live on the that. edge of it because yeah. we tend to have alternating dry and wet towns. Mm-hmm. And within a, about a five-minute walk from my house, there's a uh, pub. Uh, I'll name the place. P.J. Wellahans. Great wings if you're in the area. They've got places all over South Jersey and, and Pennsylvania. But their parking lot is in Haddonfield, my town. The town <laughs> limit cuts through the parking lot, and the bar is on the Haddon Township side. Uh. So their parking lot is dry, obviously, <laughs> but that's as close as you can literally get to being outside of the, par- outside of the town limits. That's, that's amazing. Um, we um, you made a good point too. I think um, we've we've all probably been there with uh, with kind of micro distilleries uh, wanting to to kind of promote their products. And you're right. I think you made a good point. Like the the ability to say no, this isn't ready yet, or, or, or is important. Um, uh, and because it certainly does has hurt the industry a little bit. The the reputation kind of with like I would say like you know like maybe for people from like that drink a lot of scotch, they've tried. Oh, we tried those micro distillery stuff. It sucks. And it's going to take a little while to change their reputation yeah. and and to build that back up. I think that's uh, really interesting. In Toronto, in Canada, on the other hand, Ontario, we have two really wealthy uh, distilleries that are opened up. Gretzky's uh, Distillery. Yeah. That that's a huge. Huge, I mean, investment-wise, it's a huge, a huge investment. And then the uh, distillery district has uh, the Old York uh, Distillery. Uh, also, a lot of money has gone in there. And these are no, no longer like micro distilleries. I mean, they're smaller volume-wise, but they're very expensive. There's a lot of money in this. I think, uh, yeah, uh, Gresky's definitely doing it right. Yeah. That's a beautiful distillery, and, and he hired somebody 
who already had a lot of experience making whiskey. You know, uh, so Joshua Beach, Joshua, yeah. and so uh, uh, they they um, they're really doing it right, and they're making great whiskey. And I love that you can taste the grape tannins mm-hmm. in the uh, in the whiskey. You taste yeah. it. You may you, you know that you, the way you can t- the tea, the tannins in tea have one flavor. And sometimes you taste black tea in whiskey. Yeah. The tannins in wood have a different flavor, and the, and the grape tannins have a different. And I love that he's got some of that on, on, on his whiskeys. And uh, I've I've been to the uh, the, the distillery in the uh, in the distillery district. Uh, I have to say they really were not very welcoming. So I really don't know a whole bunch about that distillery. But I think people forget that Mill Street was the first distillery in Toronto. Mill Street Brewery has this distillery that nobody knew about, yes. and it's been there for ages. I went there. I don't oh, really. Ages and ages ago with Dave Broom, and we were drinking their schnapps at the time. Yeah. So they've got gin, which is good. They're, I think their single malt is sold out now. And they're just like, because they have, a, you know, the beer business, They they it's another place that is not in a big hurry. So they just sat there making their spirits and uh, g- going on and not trying to sell them, just Except for the schnapps, which actually some of them are good, some weren't. And uh, uh, as with all schnapps, uh, yeah. And now, um, and now they've got you know gin that people love, and they've got this whiskey that's fantastic. Uh, I think Blair Phillips just did a review of their whiskey in Whiskey Magazine. I know in the last issue or two, um, but. Yeah, so it's it's been going on in Toronto for quite a long time, and pe- but people just aren't out there waving their arms around because guess what, our beer business takes too much of our time. Yeah, have, yeah. have you not tasted there? I have not tasted it. I did not know they were making it, and I love Mill Street beer. When I go to through yes. Toronto, when I fly through Toronto Airport through Pearson. I go to their brew pub at the airport mm-hmm. on a regular basis, and I love their beers. I can't wait to taste oh, what they're the, doing with whiskey. Yeah, okay, the the woman I forget her last name. Martha's the the yeah. the woman who makes the whiskey. Now it was Caitlin who was there before, yeah. but I'll send you a link when we okay. get off. When we get off the air, I'm going to send an email to you and Martha. Okay, saying great. you guys have to meet because Mark, you got to taste that yeah. whiskey. Well, you know, this yeah. reminds me of the story that you're telling. Reminds me a lot of the guys out in Yukon with two brewers. Oh. Where did they come from yeah. with that fabulous whiskey? Oh, that stuff is good. Are you kidding? Yeah, and I think you and I are the only it two whiskey writers awesome. who've been to Whitehorse, Yukon. It's, aw- <laughs> it's just awesome whiskey. And Mark, I desperately want to get there, but I haven't been yet. Oh, you haven't been to Whitehorse? No. I thought you had. No. I drove through it 20 years ago this year. The last time I was there, 20 years ago, when I was moving out of Alaska, uh-huh. I'd finished up seven years as a reporter at the NBC station in Anchorage. Yeah. And was joining my family in New Jersey, so I drove out from Alaska, wow. like nine days, and yeah. I, nine days. I wound up actually going, I've been through Whitehorse twice. No kidding. But they didn't have the brewery up then. I have family in Whitehorse, but I, uh, I haven't been there yet, but I'm, I'm looking at planning a tour this, uh, this September, which will, I hope, Take oh, you got to go in the winter. Take me. Take you got to go, 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 go in the winter. You got to go in the winter. are active. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to go, you got to go in the winter. It's just like going to Gimli in the winter. Yeah, have you ever been to Gimli in the winter? I lived in Alaska for seven years. I know what Gimli's kind of like. <laughs> so the ice. I've been at Barrow in the North Slope in the middle, with the, sixty-five the, below. The ice is so cold; it's not slippery. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You stick to it, yeah. yeah it's, it's just, it's ugh. anyway. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really good. Life. Like these, so many interesting startups um, that are doing really well. I've actually not tasted the. Two, Mill Street? No, Yukon. Oh, Yukon Brewers. It's called Two Brewers. Two Brewers, yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't tried that either. That's amazing. Okay. Um, what about um, what about the changes in scotch over the years? Because um, I think uh, the biggest, for from for me, it seems like the finishes, the sherry cast finishes and wine cast finishes, that's really been a, a big story in the last five years. Um, like, well, I'm how, tired of finishes. You're, you're tired of it. You're done. You're done. Well, no, it's, it's okay because I don't mind them, but... We are starting to finally figure out what wine casks work for finishes and what don't. Yeah. Because not every wine cask is good for a whiskey. Mm-hmm. And I'm at the point now where we've pretty much tried almost every kind of wine you can put it in. Yes, yeah, right. I mean, the Glenfiddich, the Winter Storm with the ice wine casks, I thought that was a great idea. That was wonderful. Oh, yeah. My Beth goodness. Beth Habers nailed that one when she suggested it to Brian. When did, yeah. It's like that whiskey came out of nowhere it's just like two steps above whatever is number two yeah but a banyols cask please i'm if i ever if i never have another banyols finished whiskey i'll be happy yeah and i would just i don't i think the innovation is gonna have to come back on the blending side Mm -hmm. 
with what John Glazer at Compass Box is doing, because, and people like that, if you look at what Johnny Walker's even doing with these new Blenders Batch series yeah. whiskeys, they're trying to be creative and trying to bring back that art of blending and get people past that perception that blends are inferior to single malts. Yeah. Yeah. Which it really is a bad perception. Yeah. yeah. And I think that may be where the innovation's coming over the next five years because realistically, how many more old 40 year old single malts at a couple of thousand dollars a bottle do we really need? And can the market handle? I'm making the signal for zero. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I can't yeah. afford them. Yeah. yeah. You know, but, but you know, Mark, uh, when I was, when I first got interested in single malts, an eight-year-old Scotch single malt was kind of the, that was the norm. You had these eight-year-old whiskeys, and everybody loved them, and they were ready at eight years old. And I remember Glenfiddich forever had no age statement on it, and then yeah. then somebody they they went to a twelve-year-old, and everybody was up in arms. What are they doing? What are they trying to pull on us? P- putting twelve-year-old whiskey in our in our Glenfiddich <laughs> and things like this, and, and it's it, you know people don't like change they yeah. they want whiskey to be the way it was the very first time they tasted it but i don't believe that we're beyond the the great whiskeys i think no matter how good the whiskey is you're drinking there's going to be another one just as good mm-hmm. or better yeah. and i don't save my old bottles anymore because you know what there's going to be something better that, that comes out i mean just think about two whiskeys that were released in canada this year talking Canadian whiskey here, mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they're staggeringly good. I'm talking about the Canadian Club 40-year-old, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about the Wiser's 35-year-old. Man, just talk about whacking yourself over the head with flavor. Those are just beyond wonderful whiskeys. And and, and they're going to be more next year. They're, yeah. they're going to be just as good, and the year after that, and the year after that, and the year after that. And, and you know, we're talking about rye whiskey. I mean, everybody knows what an enormous fan I am of Rittenhouse 100. Mm-hmm. It's just honestly one. I, I know yeah. it's not expensive, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But it's just great whiskey. And now I'm sitting here right now drinking this Balcones uh, 100 proof. And it is, it's giving me like a new discovery in rye whiskey. I just love these, mm-hmm. the, these whiskeys. And, uh, you know... I, I, we had this, the same experience. Mark and I were in a were in a bar. What was the name of that bar in in, in Waco? In, in Waco, uh, Barnett's Public House. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, Barnett's. Yeah, and they had the we, uh, Nino uh, Nino Marchetti was with us from Whiskey Washington, and he he bought a flight of of Texas whiskeys, and of course he had buy a flight at a table of whiskey writers, and of course it goes <laughs> around the table. And uh, you guys were drinking that. I was drinking beer. <laughs> you were done. <laughs> well, no, I was perfectly fine to drink whiskey, but I wanted some. I was at at some point. It, it was eighty five degrees that day. Yeah, it oh, that's been, right. It, it would have been yeah. eighty five degrees that day, and sometimes you just want an ice cold beer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, there, there were there were two whiskeys that fit exactly into the category we described of being too soon, mm-hmm. not enough, and there were two that were really, really interesting and exciting and new and so yeah so i yeah how has whiskey changed over the years well i think that we've got we fetishize certain aspects of whiskey and so that you know we have people it just drives me nuts when people uh, go on about a non-chill filtering and, and it does change the flavor i admit that when they go on about caramel coloring and things like this they just have no concept that how expensive it is to have a whiskey returned to the store because it's the wrong color Transaction cost for that is about as much as it costs to deliver a full pallet of whiskey, yeah. or, or, or you know, re- returning a bottle because uh, it's got some cloudiness in it, you know, and that you know when you don't when you don't chill filter so so you can do that with special whiskeys. You know, if you're doing 200 bottles and they're only going to connoisseurs, whiskey that's going out in the market, it's just a pain in the neck. But we've really come to fetishize that, and um, I think that we need to just enjoy what's in our glasses. And people have become so much more. Uh, obsessed with the process rather than the flavor of what they're drinking. I can't drink this whiskey. I can't enjoy this whiskey because it's not made in Texas. Or I can't enjoy this whiskey because it's uh, it, you know, it's a blend. Or I can't enjoy this whiskey for for a hundred more reasons. And my th- feeling is y- y- you have to you have to taste it blind. And uh, I, I don't want to hog the microphone here, but I want to give uh-huh. one more example. And that was when when Crown Royal 
Northern Harvest Rye was named the World Whiskey of the Year. And people were, some people were aghast. Well, guess what? I happen to know that some people who wrote scathing reviews of that whiskey, when they tasted it blind, you know why I know that, when they tasted it blind, they rated it in the 90s. Yeah. People yeah. loved it, loved it, loved mm-hmm. it. People who were saying terrible things about it absolutely loved it when they tasted it blind and when they tasted it blind in flights. So I think that people need to, I mean, it's nice to know about the process, but we're not drinking the process. We're drinking the whiskey. And if you enjoy the whiskey, that's all that matters. And you know the biggest complaint I had about these two whiskeys after we did that show two weeks ago was that Chip Tate didn't make them. Right. Because these were made by Jared Hempstead. They after were made Chip by left. Jared, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And people are still upset about Chip leaving. And yeah. they, I, I'm just going, wait a second. The check's cleared. Chip signed the checks. He endorsed him. He took the money. Oh, yeah. 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 Chip, Chip after, did get it. He got a good payout. But let's not forget that people at Balcony still love Chip. Oh, yeah. The individual humans who work there, they still love Chip and, and talk and about him and, ta- and respect mm-hmm. him. Uh, but that yeah, was pretty good. much a, whisk, a weekly updates on the whiskey cast was like what, what's happening at Balcones this this week. Pretty yeah. much that that was a big story. Which restraining order was filed against whom? Who was which lawsuit? <laughs> Who's changing lawyers this week and all that fun stuff? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, actually, uh, Devin, um, I had a question for you about because uh, you've, you've told the story before at a whiskey tasting. Um, I think our audience will find before it you tell the story. Yes. Yeah. You guys want to try something else? Yes, of course we do. While you're telling the story, I'll go get some more glasses and oh. something out of my bag. Awesome. That's, that's okay, the Mark Gillespie oh, surprise is being prepared right now. Um, you told the story of how, which I'm totally stealing this idea next time I'm at a distillery, um, how you went to a distillery and you asked them to taste like the chill filtered part of the whisk, like the chill filtered uh, part, whatever's been filtered out. Yes, uh, that was at, actually at the bottling hall at Gordon and McPhail. And you know, it's slippery. It doesn't have a lot of flavor, but it has. It really feels good in your mouth, and I really believe that chill filtering does affect, uh, diminish the uh, mouth feel of a whiskey. There's no question about this. It yeah. does. Uh, I just think that the they'd have to raise the price of the bottle so much to compensate for all the um, the returns. That I think that you know for for production whiskey for where they're doing big quantities yeah. i think it it saves us a lot of aggravation if they do but there's no questioning question that that it does change the mouthfeel and yeah gordon mcphail you know i was surprised it, it looked like white butter this stuff that they'd filtered out and i tasted, tasted it. it it didn't taste a whole lot like whiskey it really didn't even though whiskey had been running through it but it just felt really nice it yeah. felt creamy and you know you rub your tongue against the roof of your mouth oh look at it's gluten. <laughs> it's yeah. gluten. The gluten of whiskey. <laughs> yeah, I always bring a salt shaker full of gluten to put on my gluten free. I don't know what gluten is, but it tastes good. <laughs> it's like we're naturally predisposed to like it. Uh, so, what did you bring us here, Mike? Well, we talked about tasting blind. So, okay. taste this one and t- you tell me what you think it is. <laughs> good man. Yeah, I love it. The State of Logic podcast is like no other. We don't have the same focus as so many other podcasts where we're just going to be talking about business or politics or whatever. We talk about everything with everyone, intellectuals, comedians, and celebrities alike. Sometimes it's a 20-minute interview. Sometimes it's a three-hour interview. But at the end of the day, it's a great conversation that we often laugh about and learn something from at the same time. Come check us out at the State of Logic podcast. What do you think? Um, Charlie Smokey has that kind of like a light, like kind of Lafroigish. Uh, not saying it's Lafroig, but just got the kind of like the Lafroig kind of the heavy char on the on the back, but it's pretty light. Uh, nice caramels. Um, yeah. It's got Lagavulin licorice, but I don't know if it's even Scotch. It is. Ooh. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Okay. And you guys aren't far off. So I, I would say this is uh, like a sherry and American bourbon ish because it's got the the nice nice. Um, uh, spicy notes through. Uh, it's got pretty good sweetness. Uh, pretty sharp. It's very familiar, actually. It's got a kind of pretty kind of sharp, steady profile. It's not a complex flavors, but everything is doing. It's really doing really well. It hits the palate nicely on all all accounts. Davin, I stopped Port Charlotte's at PC four. I I, I'm, I honestly I'm, I don't know what it is. I don't think it's Ardbeg though. Is it? It's Ardbeg uh, no. by Jesus. Is it it is the new Ardbeg Grooves Committee release. Ah, Was nice. It? I got the sample the other day. 
and I brought it up with me. It's the well, committee release at 51.3. Thank you very oh, thank much, Thank you so much. Mark That's amazing. Gillespie, by golly. So I figured I'd share it with friends. Uh, thanks, Mark. This is really, really so, sweet. Cheers. <laughs> but I figured, I didn't know if it was coming to Canada or not easily. I assume with most of the restrictions, it might make it to Alberta. But I figured you, I didn't know. I figured you guys had not gotten a chance to try it yet, no, so I figured I'd bring it along. Who uh, knows what'll happen? Even if it does come to Ontario, I remember when Brook Laddie, when the revived Brook Laddie released their twenty-year-old, LCBO bought a bunch of it, and it sat in the warehouse for two years before it got in the shelves. It was already like triple price on the gray market before <laughs> LCBO <right>. even released it. <laughs> When are you guys going to do something in this province about the LCBO? I hope it'll happen in June, but I kind of doubt it. We, oh, have, yeah, an election. we, have, an election. we have an election yeah. in June. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. It's not even on the table, and no party, party's talking no. about replacing no. it. There's going to be more. There might be a chance of us having marijuana sales through third parties, non-government, because uh, currently they want to do it through oh, the like LCBO. Yeah, like it is now kind of unofficially. If, if yeah. you ever go to Toronto and you like marijuana, you, know, you can buy it anywhere. But um, they want to make it available only through the LCBO. That's what our current uh, province wants to do. But the next, Oh, great. So dealers will have to show up twice a year with their stash to see if they can get it sold, huh? <laughs> right. And <laughs> get it carried in the LCBO. But one of the political parties does want to privatize marijuana sales, which I think is hilarious. We're going to have privatized marijuana sales, but still government-controlled liquor sale. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work. I don't see how they can compete with the, uh, you know, with the criminal network. I don't see how they can compete with them. I mean, they're they're already putting so many restrictions on the sale, the legal sales of marijuana that people are just going to go to their dealer. Yeah. Why, why there's would a you, you know? <laughs> no, that's very funny you say that because if you look at Whiskey Topic, uh, Google it. There's the, another one called the Pot Topic podcast. I've never listened to it. I'm not. I don't smoke marijuana. Uh, <laughs> Nor do is, I. It's just not my thing. Um, but um, the uh, but one of the things that the local dealers are having problems is they're having problems with fentanyl. And so, like friends of mine that do do purchase marijuana are like they don't want to, the dealers are their friends are saying don't buy from the dealers because the the fentanyl craze is all over the place. So drugs are very dangerous to buy at this point because of this. Yeah. Yeah, there, this uh, the fentanyl thing. So now people are going. It's a to, conspiracy to it wipe out the drug trade. It must be, <laughs> but no. I'm but kidding, I mean, it's I'm uh, yeah. The, anyway, that's the pot topic podcast that I have nothing to do with. Um, so this is really freaking delicious. Um, Arbeg's been doing this for a long time. Uh, what do we know? What finishes it is? What it's uh, not finished. What it, they did was they put it into heavily charred casks. That nice. the reason the grooves are is because they put it into really heavily charred casks that cracked the wood and opened it up so they could get more wood in contact. That's all that spice. That's so that's so where nice. all that spice and the caramelization comes from. Oh. Mm. I like well, whiskey like, like this because they're not... Some good. Yeah, not, not Lumsden some... Did, Lumsden and Brendan McCarran did a good job with this yeah. one. Oh, that's wonderful. Wonderful. Well, at least we got the island. Definitely, we did pretty good. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you guys weren't far off. And then... <laughs> Because you, you were picking Lafroy and you were talking about Lagavulin. Yeah. Lagavulin. And then yeah. you were like, no, it's not quite it's Lagavulin. Not, but it's, it's in the neighborhood. It's in the neighborhood. It's in the neighborhood, but it's not Ardbeg. Ooh, must be Port Charlotte. <laughs> no, it's uh, Port Ardbeg. Charlotte actually would have been a great guess as well because yeah. they, they would do something very similar to this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think uh, we were talking about blends, and I think that's um, a great example of um, pretty much since I started writing about whiskey. Uh, there's always been the same story. Uh, scotch blends are great. They get a bad reputation, but it doesn't seem to be moving. Like there's few exceptions uh, we've, we've mentioned, but it doesn't seem to be really moving in that direction as well. People like the, the 50 year old single malt scotch is selling for $50,000 are just, that's what the media like hears. Yeah. That's what people hear about is that those old expensive barrels of whiskey uh, being sold. Um, but uh, so where do you think? I think we need more players in this space. I think Johnny Walker, I think you made a good example. Johnny Walker yeah. is doing that. I'd like to see the other major whiskey companies. I'd like to see the Chivas Brothers and mm-hmm. the Dewar's folks come out with some of these experimental blends. Because we know they're working on them. Yeah. And to really let their blenders cut loose and play and try to bring some cachet back to blending. Yeah, we need something other than a finish, like you were saying. Yeah. We need something higher proof or just a little has more of a story to it, what this blend came across. Um, mm-hmm. um, well, Three Ships is also a good example of a, yeah. of a great blend. Uh, they've, they've really, I think they won the World Whiskey Awards for blend or whatever was the which blend sorry uh three ships whiskey out of uh, oh, south, yeah. africa. south africa it's a good yeah. one yeah yeah they they do a great job there as well i mean it's just it's a lot of these great examples just not um but when is it going to become popular culture i guess is maybe the the bigger question yeah i um uh, i think most people don't know that you know that probably the the most influential blending house in the the world in all types of whiskey 
was here in Canada, which was the Seagram's Blending House, and nobody really blends whiskey the way the Seagram's uh, the Seagram's team did. You know, where they take a whiskey and uh, like I'll use for example Crown Royal, where they have fifty different whiskeys that they sorry fifty different whiskeys that they use to bring together and they they seem to understand that the flavors of the grain change every year so every year they adjust the, mm-hmm. the blend and sometimes there are 54 whiskeys in it sometimes there are yeah. 46 and every so it's the same like that and they've they have trans um, of course you have to do 20 25 years apprenticeship before you're even qualified to be a blender in the old seagram system um and uh they're still doing equally that well now but they've they've transferred some of this expertise Two companies like uh, like Diageo, uh, so Johnny Walker. I think Johnny Walker Blue is one of the most beautifully blended whiskeys mm-hmm. in the world, and uh, I know that uh, at one point the uh, the uh, Chivas folks were were using some of the old uh, Seagram's techniques. But I, I recently uh, somebody was telling me about, about there's a new whiskey coming out. It's it's a blend of eleven different whiskeys, and everybody's expecting it's going to be muddy. How do you do this? And I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Come on, eleven whiskeys. This is child's play. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it put put together fifty whiskeys. But of course, then you go to John Glazer who can take four whiskeys, put them together, and make it taste just spectacular. Yeah. So um, you know, Mark, I, I really um, like what you're saying about blends because I think blends are so under. Appreciated. Yep. Um, I think that one of the problems with blend, the, the people, one of the problems of perception with blended whiskey is the American definition of blended whiskey, where they're allowed to add neutral spirits. You know, yeah. and and this really, seriously, it it, it really does uh, affect it detrimentally the flavor of the whiskey. Oh, sure. And so the, the the American definition has kind of become accepted as the world definition, which of course it isn't. Yeah. But uh, some of these uh, some of these Scottish blends, some of the old Scottish blends are just fabulous. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, so so I I do think I think you're right that uh, people really need to appreciate what's in their glass and and they don't really need they shouldn't really be worrying is this a single malt? By the way, I'm one of those guys who used to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to think if it's not single malts, it's just not real whiskey, you know. And I was so wrong. But people, but yeah, people need to appreciate what's in their glass and not worry about how it was made. So thanks for the art, big. Yeah, and yeah, for the single malt. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You gave it to I me know. blind. I had no clue what it was, yep. and I loved it. Yeah, and it's with blending. It's a case of one plus one equals three. In many cases, mm-hmm. it's Four not just uh, yeah. It, it brings out the com- the complementary flavors when you do it right. Yes, you can make a screwed up blend that comes out muddy, mm-hmm. but if you know what you're doing, and I'm not saying I do by any stretch of the imagination, no. but a good blender, a skillful blender, can make magic mm-hmm. with just a handful of whiskeys. Yeah, yeah. Even I- crappy whiskeys, they can take crappy whiskeys and make them good in blending and yeah. blend away some of that crappiness. I think uh, I, I've, I've told this story before, but I, when I went to Belvane Distillery many years ago, early on, I did the ton 1401 deconstruction. Right. And one of the blends that went in there was like 38, 39% alcohol. It wasn't legally whiskey. It tasted like spoiled like wine from, uh, you know, it just tastes like bad wine, like homemade wine, you know, like mm-hmm. very high proof homemade wine. And yeah, but it had a, it had a voice in that 11, uh, that, I think that was the nine or 10, 11 barrels of whiskey. And it had a voice. It just, it did. What a beautiful way to describe that, Mark. It had a voice. Yeah. That's exactly what you were mm-hmm. talking about, Mark, with those old Brook Laddies, for example, which got blended away. They were not great whiskeys on their own. <laughs> but, but You put them in, even somebody's got to be the third chair viola player in the <laughs> orchestra. Right, right. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, we, um, um, so I think, so we're still waiting for the blending revolution, I think is what we're saying. It, but we think it's coming. Uh, and I think, um, uh, and of course, everybody's going to say 90% of whiskey, scotch especially, is sold as blend. Uh, but going back to the regulations, I think that's an important uh, point to make. So scotch blends are pretty well regulated. It's the American whiskey category, the, not the bourbon, not the straight rye category, but the American whiskey category. That's where you're talking about neutral grain spirits, where yeah. you can basically take vodka and essentially or thing yeah. and, and blend it in. Um, and there's no designation. Uh, so, But there's a lot of great examples. Um, What's the what's the barai? Is it barai? The um, 
The Burai. The High Burai. West. Yeah, the High West Burai. There's a few others that are. Uh, High West does this really well. They right. Release but they, something. Just, they don't call it American blended whiskey. They call it a blend of straight bourbons and straight ryes. When you're thinking American blended whiskey, you're thinking like a Seagram's Seven Crown. Yeah. But those, there's a, they're both legally considered American yeah. or whiskey. Or technically, Little Book mm-hmm. right. from Bean. Freddie Knows uh, project, the first whiskey that he released mm-hmm. last year, because it was labeled as an American blended whiskey because it combined malt, rye, wheat, and corn all distilled separately. Yeah. And blended in much the Canadian way. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. Yeah, that's another good But it was product. labeled as, a blend, as an American blended whiskey, technically under legal standards. Yeah. There was a whiskey we tasted in Texas, uh, Mark, that was uh, some kind of a blend, and it. it when we looked up the regulations, on Nino looked up the regulations, yeah. and it was it could be ninety five percent neutral spirits and five percent whiskey, and it yeah. would qualify as whiskey under yeah. American regulations. And you, you know, I'm this, sorry. Is, this is something that yeah, this is something that really really irritates me. People say that Canadian whiskey yeah. is not as regulated as American whiskey. Well, I'm sorry. If you look at the American definition of whiskey, it says it has to be distilled at ninety five percent ABV or less, uh, made from from grain. And uh, I think that's just about it. And and uh, but then you go down to the uh, to the types and classes. Yeah. In, uh, in chapter four, and man, you can put in up to ninety five percent neutral spirits, yeah. Yeah. which don't have to be made from grain. This could be cane spirit. Wow. This could be mm-hmm. neutral cane spirit. Yep. You know, or, and you can add artificial flavoring. Canada can't add artificial flavoring. Up to two point five percent. Up to two point five. But this yeah. can be those highly highly potent. Uh, flavor chemicals that are synthesized in flavor labs. You can add, I think it's up to up to point one percent of of those synthetic chemicals that just override everything else. And so when people tell when people tell oh <laughs> when people tell me that that Canadian whiskey is not as well regulated as American, I just shake my head because they just don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, if I were czar. Um, I would rewrite the many of the regulations on the books. I'm not the czar. <laughs> no. uh, well, could you let me know when the election comes up? Okay, because I'll vote for you. I'm not running for czar. <laughs> well, he doesn't have to be elected. He just has to be appointed as a cabinet <laughs> into the uh, not, government. No chance in... Never mind. Never mind. We're right. not going there. We're not going there. Um, no, that's really great. Um, so what's... Um, so what else has changed? So we, we've talked about blends. We've talked about finishes. Um... What else has changed in the last 10 years as far as whiskey? I think the availability of world whiskeys. Mm-hmm. The Australians, yes. the Taiwanese, the Japanese coming in. We knew about the Japanese. Oh, yeah. He's pointing out that one distillery, which shall go unnamed. I'm not giving them any credit or any publicity. But the fact that we've got great whiskeys coming out of Sweden, Germany, Austria, France. If, you, if you've ever tasted Bren, yes. single malt, the cognac finished matured single malt from France that Allison Park... Uh, brings in and it created that is a wonderful whiskey and it's a unique f- unique flavor profile it doesn't yeah. taste like a single malt necessarily right. it's, it tastes sort of like in between a cognac and a french whiskey yeah i think when you've got these whiskeys coming in from different countries the whole we talked about three ships andy watts is doing and his team have done some great stuff in south africa mm-hmm. and 10 years ago we never would have had those whiskeys in this country or in this continent yeah yeah. And the markets are opening up now because we have the logistics capacity to get small amounts of these products shipped around. I think what you're saying is when you started this, you weren't expecting to fly to all these different countries. You were like, oh, I'm just going to cover covering American whiskey. And now you're no, I Scott. was covering all whiskeys, but, but I figured were. I would be learning about it and spending a lot of time on the phone yeah. and learning about it. I didn't think I'd be traveling all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing uh, to, to be able to do that. It beats right? real work. <laughs> it does be real work. But Mark, you were one of the people who, who was the malt maniacs who first brought Japanese whiskey to the fore right. through the malt maniacs awards. And I, if I remember correctly, you were one of the judges on that competition when, when the Japanese won the, uh, the malt maniacs awards. No, let's clarify that. Okay. Let's clarify I only that. judged once okay. in 2008 and my scores were thrown out. <laughs> Just think. Who they threw co- them out? I, Oops, sorry. I, I don't want to get into this. I threw them out in consultation with Johannes. Oh, okay. And here's why. Um, during the judging period, I had gone on a type of medication that <gasps> threw my taste buds off. I remember that now, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was picking up god-awful citrusy, lemony tartness in whiskeys that don't have this. Okay. And 
<laughs> I'll tell you the story how I found, figured this out. When I'm going through doing, because uh, at the time I was doing an interview each year with Johannes to talk about the awards. Uh-huh. And we were talking about my scores, and he goes, Man, you must have really hated the Highland Park 12. And I'm going, <laughs> What the hell are you talking about? I love Highland Park 12. <laughs> he goes, Well, you scored it a 68 for crying out Whoa. loud. Oh, no. And I'm going, I what? So I checked my score sheets, yep. against, my spreadsheet against the ledger, and I'm going, Son of a gun. And I went over and pulled a bottle of Highland Park 12 off my shelf, and I tasted it, and I went, holy crap, you're right. And the only thing we could think of is that a medication that I was taking at the time threw my taste buds off, and I was picking up all these weird flavors, and I was scoring whiskeys that I normally would have scored 80s, 90s. I was scoring them 60s and 70s. Oh, boy. So we agreed to throw my entire list of scores out for that reason. Yeah. So I don't technically. I never actually judged in a competition that counted for the Maniacs. Okay. I only judged that one year and then went to semi-professional status after that. Yeah. Because of that, fa- and so now I, I talk to my doctor if I'm changing any kind of medication or starting to take something new. We look at the side effects to see if it's going to screw up my taste buds. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I know for me, it's if I eat a lot of salty food couple of two three days in a row then yeah. that day four my my tasting notes are completely different mm-hmm. uh and it's certainly uh so just your diet does will your diet medicine everything will yeah. affect your taste buds yeah. yeah yeah salt is known to make your taste buds less um perceptive mm-hmm. you can really dull your taste buds by salting your food too much which of course is why they served potato chips at the uh, tasting yesterday during the uh <laughs> the one master class here <laughs> I kid. I kid. They served him, but I'm kidding because. Right. Um, uh, Sorry. No. Um, malt maniacs. Um, so you were you were never a judge, but you were part of the. I was a judge for one year, but we discounted my scores. Right. Yeah. But Davin was one of the originals. He's yeah. been talked to. I mean, they drafted me ten years ago, and I have not done. I don't hold up my share of the load. Right. They do Davin. hold up your share of the load, Mark. You do hold up your share of the load. Yeah. The malt maniacs. Yeah. Started in 1997 with Johannes, Johannes Van den Heuvel, and he had Malt Madness was his website. And then there was Craig Daniels and uh, Louis in uh, New York. And yeah. A few of us in Krishna, you know. And a few guys have left over the years. And yeah. we just started uh, writing about, uh, about whiskey because there was no real whiskey web back then. Yeah. It was just commercial websites, and they were pretty... Uh, not very well developed. Web. Yeah. 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 And... Uh, Man, it was amazing the kind of reception we got. I remember when we went on that we went on a trip to to Scotland and we went to tour Glen Goyne and I, it was I was shocked because we we got to Glen Goyne and it was like we were kind of like celebrities or something like that and yeah. then I picked up one of their brochures when I opened it later it had Malt Maniacs tasting notes all through the, the Glen Goyne thing. So we, we, anyways, we went up to, to Isla for the Isla Festival. Glen Goyne had a yacht at Isla, and uh, they invited us to come aboard the yacht. We had to request permission to come aboard, and then we sat there with musical instruments, making our own band, you know, playing there with all these bizarre musical instruments. And I was not part of this group. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, and it just kind of expanded from there. The Malt Maniacs Awards, I think, really did a lot to help promote quality... Um, well, it was the first real independent competition independent, of this yeah, kind, yeah. and independent tasting notes of the kind. Yeah, Johannes started that because of the. Uh, he said the most of the of the uh, competitions gave out chocolate medals. If you paid your money, you got, you a, got medal. a medal. Yeah, and uh, it was uh, it was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a lot. Of, it's still very very popular. Fifteen thousand people on our Facebook site. Hope we don't have to close that down. But uh, <laughs> We're not okay. selling whiskeys on there, so I think we're safe. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking of data mining. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. Tesla closed down their Facebook website. Apparently, though, there you go. There, uh, yeah. I've deleted all my apps on Facebook. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, where do we want to end this off? Um, uh, David, actually, Dad, you had a story about your first distillery visit ever. Why don't we? Why don't we? Uh, oh, um, yeah. let's take you there, and then we'll. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, it's in Dine Magazine, right? This issue of Dine Magazine, which you can get, I know you can get in the Air Candle Lounge. Yeah, it was, I was just a kid when we did the first distillery visit. And it was totally by accident because my dad drove into the Corby Distillery 
he took a wrong turn, and we ended up in there. And, and back in those days, you know, they used horses to pull the uh, to pull the the uh, wagons with the uh, with the with the barrels on them. And it was it was like a frontier town. This is what it was I like. I'm so angry they don't do that now. Like they uh, should do that. How much flavor would that change in the barrel? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tongue flavor. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, honestly, as a, as a kid, I was. Um, we'll talk to Barry and Barry about doing that at Stillwaters. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I was nervous. I was glad to get out of there. So we never went. But I've been back to the Corby Distillery since then. It's all destroyed now. That's down. And uh, <clears throat> but I did get in there before they demolished it and walked in the old ton room. And it's really quite quite interesting. And it didn't seem familiar. But yeah, that was more than fifty years ago that I went to the Corby Distillery by accident with my dad and my brother and, <laughs> yeah. my, and my mother. It was. Uh, so my first my first recollection of whiskey visiting a distillery was leaving in fear because it just I felt like I was in a frontier town. <laughs> um, Mark, why don't, why don't you tell us one of your favorite places you've traveled uh, for whiskey? Oh, geez, that would be hard to do um, because I've had the chance, thanks to Whiskey Cast, to be able to travel and meet a whole bunch of fun people. Mm-hmm from around the world. Um, probably my favorite came last year. Just about 11 months ago, I was up uh, in Orkney visiting Highland Park. I'd gone up there after uh, the launch of Valkyrie in Copenhagen, and full disclosure, they're a sponsor of the show, mm-hmm. so I went up afterwards to do some stuff up there and, sh- and shoot some video and stuff and get some assets for future use. And I'm standing outside the visitor center and talking with Pat Retson, the longtime visitor center manager there. And all of a sudden this guy comes up and he goes, are you Mark Gillespie? <laughs> and I said, yes. And he was from, I think, and I'm going to screw this up. I know, but he was a listener from somewhere in Scandinavia mm-hmm. and he had his, either Scandinavia or Germany. And I'm forgetting this offhand. And I really feel bad about this. If he's listening, but he and his family were touring the distillery. And he said, I listen to your show every week. I make my family listen to it with me. Could we please take a picture with you? Oh. And I said, of course, absolutely. So we take a picture, and I sent it to them. And I, I think I even had a whiskey cast glass with me that I gave him. Or no, I sent it to him afterwards. I got his address from him and sent him a Glencairn glass afterwards. And it is just astounding that when I go to a whiskey festival like this one this weekend or visiting distilleries and someone will come up and say, are you Mark? And I go, yes. Usually after they've heard me talk, the voice I'll admit is a bit distinctive. It is very distinctive. And yeah. they'll come up and they'll go, are you Mark? And they go, yes, thank you for helping me learn about whiskey. Yeah. I mean, I do not consider myself an expert by any stretch on whiskeys, but being in the position to help so many other people learn about whiskeys through the conversations we have each week, that's what makes this just so much fun. Yeah, yeah. That really does. I, I, I agree. I will cheers to that as well, guys. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I was going to ask you, Mark, how many, how many years do I have to do this before I get that distinct voice where people can hear me across the hall? and they'll under- I was born with it. You were, yeah. Well, yeah. my voice changed when I was a teenager. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, you, you got to have the, uh, you got to be born with it, essentially. <laughs> born with it. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thanks, Mark. Hey!